Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey friends, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier and you are listening to another edition of the My Fit Podcast. This week, I had the opportunity to chat with retired Marine officer, Brian Shantosh, AKA Tosh. Tosh has received several awards, including the Navy Cross for his heroic actions during the 2003 invasion of Iraq. Tosh has been a high achieving leader for a large part of his life, and he's now pursuing the ultra endurance arena where he challenges his comfort zone and continually negotiates with the question, who am I? Tosh's skill sets, his knowledge, mental fortitude, kindness, and vulnerability are all very admirable traits that he displays to the maximum. And if you guys are interested in improving your mindset from one of the most badass dudes on the planet, this episode is surely for you. And I was super excited and also just very honored to be able to share a one-hour conversation with a guy I really look up to and somebody that I want to be more alike. And I think you'll feel the same way once you get through this episode. Some of the first topics we talked about was who is Tosh and how did he find himself in CrossFit? What some people don't know is that when Tosh got into CrossFit, he quickly climbed the ranks and was a part of the CrossFit seminar staff and he was a coach in the space. After that, we talked about reflecting back on working with some of the fittest athletes in the world. I think it was during 2016, uh, we talked about the video that's on YouTube that's uh, pretty funny. It's, it's honestly a great video on when Tosh went down to uh, what they called Camp Cookville, where Rich Froning lives and worked alongside those guys and kind of brought him into Tosh's world. And if you've seen the video, you know exactly what I'm talking about. After that, we talked about how Tosh's ideas on leadership has evolved from when he was in the Marines to now, how it's changed, evolved, and what are some new things he's added to his toolbox. After that, we talked about how to view the idea of quitting a task. If you guys remember, James Hobart was on the show recently, and he's actually the person who introduced me to Tosh. And he talked about how he did one of um, Tosh's diesel days, one of his uh, nonprofit events, and ended up quitting one of the events and how that really just ate at him. I wanted to ask Tosh, being the leader of the event, what's it like when people quit? How does it eat at him? And does he have a similar uh, experience where he quit a task? After that, we talked about the importance of building your inner voice and staying focused on the task at hand. And then I went through some of Tasha's social media quotes and wanted to pull out some of the things that he's been saying and, and break them down and illuminate them a little bit more. And one of them was excellence is delicious. Another one is the mind is to body as 10 is to one. And then the third one, my favorite one is hard men do hard shit. And without struggle, there can be no progress. And then we close down by talking about what he's recently up to, and it's quite a feat. He and three other Navy SEALs are attempting to row 
3,500 miles across the Atlantic Ocean. And not only are they trying to do this, they also want to put up the best time that has ever been done by a team of four across the Atlantic Ocean. Pretty phenomenal feat. I think it's something like 28 or 29 days in the ocean uh, on a rowboat. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty incredible, kind of on the crazy side. But if you guys want to look more into that, what they're trying to do is create more awareness for the plastic wear that's in the ocean. And if you want to donate and help uh, kind of promote the cause and help them out a little bit, you can go to www.teamshutupandrow.com and hit the donate button. And he would really appreciate anybody's support along the way. It's a really cool conversation. Just a warning in the beginning, uh, our Wi-Fi was a little bit muffled and it's a little bit hard to hear him. And he had some people at his house. So uh, just be aware after about 10 minutes, it starts to clear up and you can really uh, hear him hear him more. And I think you guys will really enjoy the episode. It's a little bit longer, but uh, it's, it's something that I think everybody could benefit from and everybody could just kind of sit back and hear stories uh, from a guy who's been through just a lot of shit. And as always, if you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a rating and review as that helps my show grow tremendously and truly just makes my day. Thank you guys all for the continued support. And without further ado, let's get to this episode with Brian Shantosh. Let's go. Tosh, welcome to the MyFit Podcast, man. I'm stoked to have you on the show today. I've been researching you and following you for quite some time. And it's cool to just kind of bring everything into fruition and talk about some of my favorite topics of being mentally strong, mentally resilient, and kind of everything that goes along those lines. So welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Super, super excited to be here. Appreciate you reaching out, man. Thanks to James for uh, connecting us. Absolutely. So uh, kind of that first podcast question, I want to give the listeners a little bit of a background of who you are. And then a lot of my listeners, uh, Brian, are involved in CrossFit. So I'd love to hear about how your life ultimately led into CrossFit. Yeah, I mean, a little bit about myself, just average Joe American, um, joined the Marine Corps, served in the Marine Corps for for a career, got out um, somewhere along the way. I was introduced to CrossFit, must have been 2005, probably 2004, not 2005. And um, it just really resonated, like the methodology, obviously like the physical component of it, like we connected that right away, physical, these certain group of people, physical creatures, and it just was exciting and challenging and pushed and made me feel better, developed me in ways that my regular, you know, fitness regimen wasn't. And um and then I had the luxury to go to a seminar in Quantico. Greg Glassman was um, he was still on circuit then doing, doing the seminars and just got to hear from the horse's mouth the methodology and science and the explanation and articulation. And that's what really resonated with me, you know, specifically in the Marine Corps, infantrymen, the unknown, the unknowable, preparing by pushing yourself in the margins that you know you're, you're boundaries. so um that's kind of it man i've been just doing crossfit since then still do it fairly regularly too man and it's just been, been great physically great mentally great how to manage emotions spirituality the whole nine yards community so yeah, we'll get into some of that doing hard stuff. And I think a lot of it comes back to, you know, CrossFit is hard. It is challenging for the most, for people that come to the gym on a daily basis and do the the daily workout of the day, the wad, if you will. Some of that is being tested on a daily basis. And that can be a very simple uh, way to kind of check in with yourself. Yeah, you know, um, and I think that's the thing. On the surface, you know, going to the gym or just doing, doing workouts in the garage or whatever, it's the obvious benefits, right? The obvious health benefits, but um when you really go after it and 
pushed by your peers and create that that social connection with people and uh, the accountability that that brings to the table, whether it's just to show up or it's to push yourself hard or to insist on the standards for uh, uh, the range of motion standards, uh, movement standards. It all transfers when you really think about it into every aspect of your life, you know, personal discipline, personal accountability, how you how you handle relationships with family and friends and uh, your internal dialogue. It's, it's, it's a holistic benefit. Absolutely. Uh, the first time I was introduced to you, and I put introduced in, in air quotes because I didn't meet you in person, but the first time I was able to see you and watch your stuff is uh, as a video posted, I think it was about five years ago. And is when you went down to what they called Camp Cookville and you worked with some of the best CrossFit athletes in the world. And you kind of brought them through uh, a little bit of a kind of what a diesel day is now and kind of brought them through kind of your own terrain. Talk to me a little bit about and the listeners about what were some of your biggest takeaways on working with some of the fittest in the world, including guys like Rich Froning and bringing them into kind Tasha's world, if you will. Yeah, that was a, that was a great event. Um, I was headed to Cookville, anyways, and um, Hinshaw asked me if he would do if I would do a, a little something special for the athletes that he was working with, get get into their head a little bit. That was where I first met Tia, and um, have have not been less and less, more and more. I've been more and more impressed interactions ever since then with her. She's just so amazing, but. You know, surrounded with Rich and his gang that he brings, Tia and Sarah and Katrin. It's like, oh, cool, Dan Bailey. And um, he just wanted me to put them through something to challenge their head. And so, you know, like two days, we put something together. And um, really, it started out just tackling how people carve things out and they build expectations for themselves or what they think something's going to be, what they think is going to be a limiter on their performance or how well they're going to do. And just try to challenge that by constantly introducing them to something that they didn't expect and pushing them, pushing them. Um, a lot of it driven off of the days when I was in the Marine Corps and training men, you know, um, in, in our community. So uh, it was great, man. We, um, we started off. I remember it clearly. I look back at the video every now and then and some of the photos and we did some of the interviews and, started off with a run and took away the watches, you know, I think one of the big things is human career, especially now in the day of this whole, what is it? The zoop or the zoom, the whoop, the whoops and all yeah. this other gadgets and gizmos. <clears throat> and we collect data. We're, we're human beings. So we love to collect data, collect data, collect data. And that gives us a, a frame of reference for performance. But I think what happens is we use that frame of reference as a standall and we forget to use how we're feeling and understanding and self analysis and scanning as the ultimate reference. And um, so, you know, just by taking people's watches away right there. And then that's, that's a quick way to pull them out of that. But um, how often do we use our time as a measurement for how hard we're pushing? And then we, then we, we fail to have a conversation. Well, was that really hard? Could I have done better? What could I have done better? What didn't I do so well? Instead of like, oh, well, I got that time. Like, I must have done good. And then the conversation stops there. And the cool thing is, is a lot of the elite athletes, they have that ability already. And they already do that. They're scanning their body and running in the, the time pieces uh, or whatever, or your whoop or your zoom, whatever the gadgets are that we wear these days, they, they sort of validate or they give perspective to what you're feeling or what you're analyzing and assessing instead of the other way around. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's funny how 
you know, and then uh, another one of the big things was like group dynamics. So what one person, when they're starting to feel a certain way, let's say in a negative way, it gives everybody else permission to feel less. And the best of the best use that as food to fuel them to be their best and not give them permission to, you know, marginalize their own performance, like a form of self-sabotage. And um, when you can see it happening and then capture that moment as a teachable moment in order to have a conversation with somebody, hey, what's going on for you now? What are you thinking? What's, what's the, you, can, you can reprogram how the mind and the mind's mind is starting to have this conversation. Um, and that was just, um, that was just really cool working, working with them. Um, some good relationships came out of it and some cool opportunities. And I learned, I learned a bunch, you know, I'm not a elite athlete per se in any regard. And there's so much to learn from, from anybody. If you're just willing to, to watch and observe and have conversations too, you know? Well, yeah, it's a fun video. We'll attach it to the show notes for the people that haven't listened. I think one of the big things that kept, uh, ringing in my head was when you just kept saying pays to be a winner. You know, pays to be a winner. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does pay to be a winner. And then the, the reverse of that is true too, right? One of the big moments for me was uh, at uh, Seniors Pond was frigid. Yeah. I went up there because I've never asked anybody to do anything that I'm not going to do myself. Mm. And I went up there in the middle of the day to go test the pond out. And I, man, I didn't get in and swim across it. I got in like up to my knees, like, oh, cow, this is cold. And so in the back of my mind, it's like, <clears throat> excuse me. How is this going to play out in the middle of the night when these guys are tired? And, and uh, who was the first one? I think it was Dan Bailey was the first one. And zero hesitation, zero hesitation. He just dove in and started swimming. And then um, I think it was Sigmund's daughter was next. And zero hesitation. I was like, these guys, these guys have something, right? They're not allowing a conversation to take place to allow them to, you know, sabotage performance. And was really cool to see that um, and watch that play out. But then the other one was when Dan left one of his teammates behind and yeah. took off running and I just made him pay, which <laughs> made me happy. <laughs> you got, you got, you got, you got to pay that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you're, you're in the Marines, Tosh, and, and we kind of, you know, went over that really quickly, but you're, you're a, you know, a big time leader in that part of your life. I'm curious if we were just talking about leadership a little bit, how, how has your ideas, Tosh, on leadership changed, um, you know, either how you talk about it or how you deliver it yourself? How has it changed when you were a Marine to now? Talk to me a little bit about leadership in your life and how it's changed over the years um i don't know so much if it changed i probably not used the word change but maybe evolve or grow or mature you know um it was really really young joining my court 18 and everything's thrusting me throw leadership leadership and discipline discipline and then as you move through at a pretty rapid rate on a time scale to having authority and responsibility and you're accountable now for other people and leadership is just constantly going at you and you're learning. I mean, you're learning so fast. Um, and then as the career progressed, that learning started to slow down in terms of just absorbing stuff. And it slowed down and allowed you to practice the stuff that you absorbed so fast in different ways, in different manners and tossed it around. And I think, I think professional leaders they, they have something and then they work with it and they chew on it for a while. They don't just take two chews and swallow it and then done, forget about it, move on to the next bite. I think early in my career, I was <clears throat> just constantly swallowing. And then as I moved forward, finding yourselves in different scenarios, different situations, different types of people, regurgitating some of the stuff that you swallowed and chewing on it more and more and really making it make meaning instead of just reading the words and taking the words for face value, you know, synthesizing 
stuff. Um, I think moving forward as our collection of experiences grow, our our successes and opportunities for growth grow, we we have the ability to empathize more, you know, um, have a little bit more patience. I say tactical patience when dealing with others and helping them to learn and grow instead of trying. You know, one of the big things I have uh, is everybody wants to tell everybody what they know and teach everybody to like, hey, this is this and this is this and this is this. And it's like, okay, cool, right? But are you really doing that for the individual? Are you doing that for yourself so that you can, you know, just be like, ah, oh, this is what I know and I'm teaching you and now I feel better about myself. Or if you're really invested in, in the individual that you're working with or group that you're working with, understanding that they're on a curve or growth process, it's not a, it's not a event horizon, it's a process and setting conditions for them to explore and make meaning for themselves instead of just always giving answers. So my, Leadership style evolved into creating opportunities for people to explore, um, setting experiences so that they can, you know, assimilate that for themselves to make meaning and then be able to have it like a sticky factor so that they can take it forward and apply it how it best suits them with a broader understanding and just having more patience with that, that process. You know, I, I work with people when, when we do events, I have staff come on and they're, they're, in the early stages, they're just so quick to make corrections. And it's like, hey, man, stop. Just don't make the correction because what you're doing is you're, you're denying the individual the opportunity to learn something um, valuable and experience maybe um, the hardships of decisions that they make or, or the actions that they're taking. You be there to catch them so that they don't have a catastrophic failure or that their challenges aren't impeding on other people's opportunities for success and just kind of be this, just juggle a little bit and give them space. Um, but just so quick to jump in, jump in too fast, too soon and make immediate corrections instead of having uh, just the patience. You know, I like, I always tell everybody, it's like, who gives a shit about your answers? You know, what's more important to me about than answers is questions. Do you have the right questions? Because if you can ask the right questions of people that you're working with, let them figure out the answers with the words and the meaning that makes the most sense to themselves. Um, but really, really good leaders have the right questions. They don't, they don't really have any answers. Yeah, super powerful. And when, when you talk about, this has been a common theme of, of the show here the last couple of years about asking right questions as coaches. What are some things, what are some questions that you're continually asking people to get the best out of? Do you have some questions that kind of pop in your head right away that you like to kind of lean on when you, if we, if we kind of start to open the conversation of, you know, becoming more mental, re, mentally resilient, mental toughness, what, what are some things you like to ask? And uh, one of the big ones that I'm working with right now that I like a lot, and I got it from Richard Gerling who does a lot of mindfulness and resiliency workshops for us with our nonprofit and veterans is um, uh, the, the phrasing of it generally goes like, Hey, what you're doing right now, or what you're thinking right now, uh, or the actions, like, how is it serving you? Is it serving you well? And it's like, Hey, like that phrase that way helps me out. And I see, I see a big effect, you know, on other people when you phrase it, that, Hey, you know what you're doing right now? How, how is that serving you? How's that working out for you right now? Because that says, oh, well, because a lot of times you're not even really even thinking about that, you know, instead of saying, hey, maybe you should do this or don't do that. Yeah. Hey, how is it serving you? Um, but then you got to take it another. Every question actually is 
It's just the opening the door for the, the best question or a, or a better question. So you got to ask the next question, right? Um, very, very too often we just stop with asking one question. You got to take it one level deeper. And so, you know, you just follow up like, well, what are, what are you trying to do? Mm-hmm. Or if, what you're doing, I like the phrase, can you suck a little bit less in the next five minutes than you did in the last five minutes? What does that look like? Instead of, can you do better? The whole, can you do better for five minutes? Can you better? It's so played out and it's, it's so on invigorating in the head when you say oh well what can you do better it's like mm-hmm. yeah well what can you suck less at and it's like mm-hmm. wow what does that mean when you start thinking um so i like i like those two kind of paired up with each other um I'm constantly asking people what their not necessarily their goals are um their ambitions and then okay so and this is i got from uh, melissa love from the mosaic foundation um and she had a panel of 13 questions that she asked. And one of them was, was around goal setting and mindfulness and Hey, but what does it look like when you get there? It's like, wow, I never thought of it that way. You know, um, Hey, what, what is your goal? It's like, okay, cool. Instead of saying, asking what your goal is, is what does it look like when you arrive at the place that you want to be? Explain that to me. Wow. And that gives it some, some, you know, something that you can touch on you know, a little less abstract. And then, um, you know, you can follow it on with like, okay, who's, who's there with you when you've arrived or what did you have to let go of in order to get there? You know? Um, and those are just really cool thought provoking questions instead of the, the same old, same old questions that everybody just, uh, I'm just going to repeat an answer that I can give it. Right. And it, meaning. and it gives people a chance to reflect. And I think what we talked about before is kind of creating the sense of autonomy for people that you want them to find the answer in order for them to do that. You have to, set time to reflect and maybe even meditate would be another word for it. But if they're not going to do it, I think we as coaches can kind of provoke that by asking some of these questions. Is, is that kind of the, the same rhetoric that you would follow to? Yeah, I like that. I like you. I'm using the word autonomy, um, you know, create not independence for people. I mean, ultimately the goal of parenthood is to raise kids so that they don't need you for the rest of your life. But so often we don't approach it that way whether intentionally or unintentionally or aware or not aware, but we're setting things up so that our kids are always tied to us. Was that for them or is that for you? You know, and I can see the same parallel with coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to tell you to squat deeper. I want to ask you like, Hey, how deep do you think you're squatting right now? You know, what's telling you that you're at the bottom or, you know, what are you, what are you cheating yourself out of by being, short or full range of motion what's preventing you from doing the full range of motion now when we have those we get you to think about those answers i can get out of assuming shit and then get tied to what's really going on for you like what's stopping you from going full range of motion it could be you're lazy because you're trying to go too fast it could you have a little bit of arm pain because the weight's too heavy who knows it could be a whole litany of different reasons but more often than not as a coach we're going to assume an answer and then we're going to tackle it and if you're not getting the results desired by the cues that you're giving, then you should not say that the athlete or the student isn't trying hard or lacks capability or doesn't care. It should be that, well, you don't understand the problem correctly. And so you got to ask yourself the question instead of asking them the question. Like, what don't I understand right now? And how can I understand better what's going on for my audience? Yeah. 
Super profound. I love it. I want to transition a little bit. So like I said earlier, I had James on the show about two weeks ago, and we spent a long time talking about you and talking about his uh, influence or the influence you've had on him and also just the events and time that he spent over at your place. And something he, he recently told the story about when he was out. I don't, I don't know for sure if it was a crooked butterfly, what event it was, but he was out there doing an event every two hours, run two miles. And long story short, he quit. And he talked about how when he quit, it didn't sit right in his stomach. And he actually compared his reaction to having a temper tantrum and just uh, how it ate at him for days and days and days. Um, I'm curious if you could enlighten our listeners, maybe if you were there, talk to us about what that was like. And then also, do you have a story? And I say this because I know you have a story about when you were in our home state of International Falls, where you kind of had something similar. I want to just talk a little bit about what is it like when you end up quitting something? Why does it eat at you? And then maybe if you have some parallels between your story and James's story, let's just kind of open the conversation on that. Yeah, that's awesome. There's so much there. Um, you're talking about Arrowhead 135, which has been a, the nemesis of mine um, for a lot of years. Um, but uh, going back to James, he was up here for um, the Big Fish Foundation, the veteran nonprofit that we run a fundraiser the very first year. And the goals were, or that not the goals, but the, the protocol was run two and a half miles on the top of every hour. And then whatever time you have banked before the hour's over, just get as many bodyweight bench presses as you can repeat till the last one standing. And I mean, we had a collection of, of really good dudes, right? Like, I mean, Josh Bridges was up here. Um, Bristol Mayfield, Diesel Mike. Um, oh, what was his name? The Spartan champ. Uh, I'll remember his name in a minute. He's Spartan world champion um, guy. Myself was competing. And then uh, a buddy of mine from the Marine Corps is a super accomplished ultra endurance athlete, Mossy Smith, um, who, won the, who won the event, by the way. But um, Isaiah Vidal is a Spartan guy. And so we just got, we started going, you know, and, and as people started quitting because they reached physical limitations or psychological limitations or, or whatever, whatever, um, it gives permission for everybody else to near or approach their quitting point instead of denying it, you know. And James, I think he was the third one to tap out. And I mean, he, he went far. You know, he went over 24 hours. I think he was closer to 30 hours. Uh, maybe not quite 30. I think he was like right around 24, but he had accomplished something, right? He, oh, I've never done 24 hours. Before. Oh, my God. That was so much longer than I thought I could have. And it sort of gave him permission to the guy. I accomplished a goal pick. Um, and watching other people and the perception that other people aren't hurting is bad. Wow. It's just, I'm, I'm feeling this way. And, and the, and the perception is, is like Ajimasi and Brista, like they're just unfazed right now. How I'm feeling is inconsistent with how they look or how I'm interpreting they feel. Oh, I must be reaching my culminating point, something, something, something. And, you know, I can't talk exactly what was going on in entirety with James Head. We've talked about it before with him, but um, yeah, he quit and he, he beat himself up for a few days so much that he says, hey, I want to come back and do it again. And I was like, all right, cool, because I wanted to see how far I could go too again and so he came up and uh he did it again and uh, he beat 40 hours but the funny thing is is he set 40 hours as a goal for him because 40 hours would have been a nice cute even 100 miles right two and a half miles an hour 40 hours 100 miles and so he creates this artificial number not tied to capacity maybe per se or what you're feeling it's just it was a number 
And that's why the events that I do are a lot different than like, hey, if you just join up a marathon, you know, you run 26.2 miles or you do a 50 miler, there's a finite end point that's associated with a number. Or if you do Cindy, hey, once I hit 20 minutes, it's over, right? And it's not necessarily tied to what your potential could be if you take away that artificial limiter. So um, he came out and as he was getting close to 40, um, so it was a cute, it was a cute goal, right? Hundred, hundred miles. Cassandra said, "Oh, you're doing great. You've only got two more left. I'm so proud of you." And I jumped on there. I was like, "Don't ever say that to him again." I said, and and you know, he kept going, but you could see the effect that that had on him. Oh, I've only got two more to go. You could see that he was spirited because oh, two more to go. That that's great. It's just two more hours, but that it also allowed him to show and wear his fatigue more. Mm-hmm. And so he was artificially limiting his point. And then I said to her one-on-one, I was like, hey, anytime, you, you know, it's a, it's, very, it's a very dangerous thing, especially uh, in a partnership too, when your partner says, I'm proud of you. That gives you permission that, oh, well, she's already proud of me. Hey, this is good. I don't have to, you know. And when he came back from his 39th lap, starting his 40, and he had this certain thing going on that, okay, I'm done. I'm like, you're not done. Who, who said 40? 40 was the bare minimum. Right. We knew you were going to go 40 because you weren't going to not because of what you were feeling from after the fundraiser. Like that's a bare minimum. Who says that there has to be the finish line, you know, and he ended up going for like three more hours, which was really, really cool. And I I think he could have went for another seven, 10 hours, you know, but um, just breaking that moment, you know, making him and me coaching him to get the 50 hours would have been mildly interesting. It's the same conversation we had in the beginning, right? Like, just let him explore a little bit, ask him some questions, get him going, let him have the experience. And now talking with him now, he's, he's just like, I got it. I got it. Now he, he helps coach the diesel days and he's working with people through the same thing that he experienced um, and able to think of how he felt after the event knowing, and now he can empathize so much more with individuals that are experiencing what they're experiencing. But uh, it was, it was cool. Um, yeah, it was, it's fun to watch him. He's a, he's a stud, man. His capacity is incredible. Like, I mean, he finished second at the games this year in the Masters kid, 35 to 39-year-old category, right? And he trained, but he didn't do the whole pampered athlete. I've got to train and isolate myself and insulate myself from distractions. And he was up here and he did a diesel day. He did a fundraiser. He coached. He did this. He did that. He would just show up and do madness workouts. And he never used it as like, oh, well, this is interfering with my training to get ready for the games. And I think that's a large part of why he did so well because it's like, okay, I'm, he's just going to say yes. He's going to do it. And no matter what, it's going to make him stronger, you know? And um, I'm really excited for him to uh, compete next year as he prioritizes the games and then um, still does the things with us. Um, he's he's incredible, you know? Yeah. He talked a lot about how your events, Tosh, are filled with uh, exercises or obstacles that are, I don't want to say easy because that's definitely not the word, but they're simple. And so like running, for example, like most people can do it. And he said, James even said, I could probably finish that two and a half miles by doing a very fast walk. So then when it comes down and at the end of the quitting, it's really not up to, in most cases, it's not up to people's body, but it actually comes back to their mind or their brain that's limiting them. And he, and he said, he's like, I probably could have walked another two and a half, but my brain kind of shut down. I want to talk about when you see failure, when you talk about people hitting that quitting point, 
Talk to me a little bit about why or how the brain takes over and what are some things and ways, tactics that you talk to people about that they can kind of overcome it, knowing that physically they can handle more. Yeah, I would say 99.999 to be a cliche, right? Like of all moments when I see somebody quit because they can't go on, it's purely mental, purely mental. It's not to suggest that their body hasn't been taxed and is experiencing something exceptional, maybe unique to them in the moment. And then therefore it's, it's the limit of their advance of the unknown, right? They're, they're experiencing something for the very first time, but it's, but it's not their finish line. And it's what's going on upstairs that makes them think that this new experience and this new sensation or feeling is finish line. And um, I like to create events that the physical aspect is just a vehicle to deliver you to that moment. And so therefore the tasks, like you say, they're not easy, but they're, but if you recalibrate yourself and the way you think and you get side, you get outside of yourself, um, they're not, it's not like you can't do one more. It's not like you can't just do one more push up or one more air squat or take one more step or whatever the tasks are that are, that are associated with the specific that we're doing. Because my goal is to unpackage the conversation that your mind's mind is having with your mind and um, get you to be more aware of how your, your mind's mind is tricking you into setting these artificial limitations, right? These artificial ceilings for yourself. And once you can start to deduce what that conversation is, you can strategize how to tackle it, correct it, stop feeding it. Um, most of the time we feed, we feed our mind unwittingly. Um, you know, it's been coined different ways, right? Like self-talk, positive psychology, you know, self-authorship, whatever it is, right? But that's really, <clears throat> excuse me, what we're doing is we're just trying to get you aware of the conversation that's happening and how you're subtly or uh, the, the insidious process that, that seeps in that tracks you into thinking you're at your physical limit. Because, you know, there's the other saying that mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter, right? Well, I agree with that to an extent until matter does matter. But you've seen somebody... Uh, on the world stage with the greatest, the greatest athletes, like take the Olympics, like take, a, take the marathon and you've seen people cross the marathon and you just, you're looking at it and I'm getting goosebumps and like the person like collapses, like total fatigue, 50 feet before the finish line. Okay. That person didn't fail mentally. You know what I mean? Or they just totally collapse right after the finish line. The euphoria event's gone or whatever. Like, they didn't, they didn't, you know, capsize upstairs in, the, in, in between the ears. You know what I mean? They, they gave it their all, but that's not the case. How many times have you seen somebody cross the finish line of a marathon on a world stage and, and then like, oh, they put their hands on their knees and they walk yeah. around and then yeah. it's like, okay, hey, cool. You had more. Yeah. You had more. Um, now, whether it was you, you accomplished your goal or not, or what was your goals, that's a different conversation, but, but you had more. It's the... Who do you respect more? Let's use Cindy for I use this one all the time. It's like we got Cindy, right? Five, 10, 15 of what is it? Pull ups, push ups, air squats. Air squat. mm -hmm. Most rounds in 20 minutes. And somebody comes back with a score of 27. I got 27 rounds. I'm like, oh, cool. That's great, man. High five. And then you have somebody else that comes back and say, what was your score? And I say, like, 18 plus four. I'm like, whoa. I'm giving you double high fives. I have so much more, I don't want to say respect, but it's like you took it to the paint, right? Um, you went to the last second. The person that just came back with 25, yeah, they did seven more rounds, impressive physically, but 
we're comparing two different people with two different physical capacities. But when we look at the mind and we compare mindsets, the person that did 25 rounds versus the person that did 18 plus four, I want the person that did 18 plus four in my fighting hole every single day of the week. Because I know that they didn't want to get back up on that pull-up bar. They had seven seconds left and they mm-hmm. could have said, but they had this, this tenacity to say, I can get more. I made a contract with myself to do, do this workout and that workout calls for 20 minutes, give everything I have. Whereas now it doesn't mean that this is always the case, but the person at the 25 even, were they strategizing, you know, the last 50 seconds, like, oh, I can go just a little bit slower because I'm just going to fit. I'll, I'll be able to get my 15th air squat and bang 25 and they, they ride the clock out. Or did they have six seconds left on the clock and decide not to jump up and get one more pull up or two more pull ups? You know, and, and to me, that's a um, opportunity for growth for them um, upstairs. And yeah. so that's a mindset stuff thing, you know, where you're looking and I'm looking for those things during our events to coach people in stride while that's happening. Not give them the answer, not force. Sometimes you force them to do another lap. Sometimes you force them to do another rep, but only because you want to show them that you can. Um, and then, then you have to stand back a little bit and let them figure out if they can do it on their own or not. You know, there's so many things going on, darkness and hunger and cramps and whatever, you know, I have to go to the bathroom or I think I'm thirsty. Like, do you really, you know, you can't hold on to, you know, your potty for five more seconds and get one more rep or you can't like be thirsty for 30 more seconds. You know, I had a client, uh, love them. Great client, longtime client. It was one, I think it was the second event that we had done together and we're mountain biking. And then he, he's experiencing these cramps, hamstrings are blown up, but mentally he was just fucking done, tired, didn't want to do the event anymore. And uh, he just stopped. Like, I'm done, can't go anymore. And I'm just like, all right, like, I don't know what that means because we're in the middle of nowhere. So we got to either go that way three <laughs> yeah. miles, or we got to go back that way two miles. Right. In order to even call an Uber, right. you know, to pick us up on some weird road. Uh, so I don't know what you're going to do. Like, it's cute that you quit. You can't do anymore. But so, so what are we doing? Like, what's this look like? And he just kind of looked at me and you give him his moment. And then, and then I said, and I knew for him it would work. I was like, hey, if I had a knife to your wife's throat right now and said, could you go for 15 more minutes? Would you be able to? And he just looked at me and he just got on his bike and he started riding. And it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, that's something that I use for myself. Like, hey, if, if my son or my daughter, my son or my daughters were watching me right now, what would, would I be proud of what I'm doing, how I'm acting, how I'm holding myself? Not would they be proud? Because of course we could be proud. Wow, dad, you're doing something really gnarly. Would I be proud of myself putting myself on display for them to be watching? You know, if Nicole was watching me right now, would I be proud of myself? You know, too many times we set these goals. Well, I want to make someone so proud of me. I want to make someone so love me. I want to make someone so respect me. And it's like, you got it wrong. Are you going to respect yourself? Or are you going to be proud of yourself? If the answer is yes, you got to ask that next question. Really? Is it, is it yes because I'm really, really tired right now? And so I'm going to move my goalpost a little bit? Or like, am I going to actually, when I choose to remember the future and it's next Wednesday and I'm sitting down, am I going to look at myself in the mirror? Mm-hmm. Uh, I could have done one more rep. One more rep. Oh, just one rep though. You know, it's just one rep. And it's, 
man, don't marginalize that one rep because when you were fresh, every rep mattered, right? It counted, it, it meant something to you. But because you're tired or hungry or sore, now all of a sudden the value of one rep is perceived to be less because of the situation that you're in or the things that you're experiencing or succumbing to. And that's a, that's a big conversation. When you can teach yourself to think that way and catch yourself when you're not thinking that way and then have this um, uh, resiliency to get the conversation back the way that it needs to be, then you're, um, that's, that's really what it's about. That's what I try to help people understand yeah. and do. That's awesome, man. It was something over the years I've been competing at a, at a pretty high level in CrossFit and something that has really, that I keep coming back to that's worked for me. And I've been public about this on my Instagram is the phrase, um, be proud of the effort that you put in. And when I'm grinding on the assault bike or I'm deep in a workout, that thought pushes me more than any other thought. It used to kind of be, I used to try the, the phrase of like, you know, what's your opponent doing? Or, you know, there might be other things and they just never worked or stuck or even pushed me further. Sometimes the thought of, oh, your opponent's doing more work than you. I'd be like, I, I I'd almost give up to be like, man, that doesn't work for me. But if I think about, you know, tonight, later this, later tonight, when I'm sitting down eating dinner and I'm thinking about my workout, am I going to be proud of the effort that I put in today? That's just something that, and it's exactly what you were saying, has really stuck with me um, and has helped me kind of push through some of the sucky parts of being a competitive CrossFit athlete. So I really like that you highlighted that. I think another big key part of this, Tosh, is people's thoughts, um, they wander a lot and, and they get distracted by things. And I think the key that you were just getting to at the end is talking about, well, how do you bring back their focus into what they're doing? You know, I think about somebody who is, you know, maybe they're mountain climber, they're climbing some sort of peak and they start to think about the pain in their legs or, or the hunger or some of the other things that are coming around them. How do you bring them back to stay focused on the task at hand? Do you have some applicable items? Yeah, I, I think that's clutch right there. That that's clutch. Um, real quick rewinding. Um, yeah, hey, my opponent's doing better. Am I proud of my that might work for us because we're wired a certain way? And there's many, many different people that are wired different ways and yes. figuring out how they're wired and come up with the mm -hmm. strategies. Because if I I have um, you know, Athena was here at Diesel Day, I'm not I'm not motivating her by saying by saying those things. I have to know her as a human being as an individual, what her goals, her motivations are, so that I can cue correctly. To tap into that because if, if I say, hey, five more points to Athena, she gives two shits about points. She never did. In fact, she kept trying to get me like, I don't care what my score is. I'm like, cool, you don't, but I do. And I need, and you know, and I've worked through that. But what do you care about? And then when I can focus on the client, what they care about, then I can figure out their motivators and then come up with a strategy to tap into those. Cause the goal is to make them the best that they can be, you know, and you know, one of one of my probably the the most significant motivator for me is just I've been my worst possible version of myself in life a handful of years ago. And I'm disgusted when I think about who that human being is. And so anytime I'm in a, an opportunity with, whether it's a conversation with somebody, an interaction, um, a, a internal thing to make a choice to do right or do wrong um, in a physical event where it's like, Hey, do I do one more push up or do I just pedal the bike faster for two more seconds or one more pull on the herd, like whatever it is, it's like, Hey, Every time that I'm aware that that question comes up, I do that and I gain, and then I create that hedge against that person that was the worst because I'm making a gain. And that's my motivator. Like you come up to me, it's like, Tosh, remember that worst possible version of yourself? Like, give me two more reps and you're that much farther away from ever becoming him again. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give you five more reps right. because that's how I'm wired. It wasn't always that way. It used to be like you were saying, like the opponent's working harder, the effort, you know, and, um, 
I just think that's really, really cool. Really cool that you're aware of that and you bring that up. And um, but part of the question that you were asking, though, before I took you back on the rewind was. Uh, yeah. So we're just talking about bring, yeah, bringing back your thoughts. So people get distracted really easy, especially with. And I'm just thinking about your just your cell phone. Right. And being distracted yeah. about, you know, you're in a, in a hard workout and you're thinking about things that are outside the task. And maybe you do notice it or, or you don't. How do you as a coach, Tosh, how do you bring them back into being focused on the task at hand? Yeah, I think um, it's a cool it's it's a cool conversation to have really really quick to paint the picture so that my answer doesn't matter. Um, meditation, you know, meditation practices don't the ones that I'm aware of, the ones that I gravitate towards. They don't try to get you to master that and force yourself not to distract. They they want you to have space to distract and then to check in with wow. Uh, I was distracted. So let me check back in and get undistracted and focus on this again, but giving room for the mind to wander, bring it back. But then the, the best practices that I, or not the best, the ones that I really like are, that's the start of it. But when your mind wandered, where did it wander to? Uh. And then bring it back and just kind of catalog that or somehow. And then as you're meditating more and your mind drifts, you let your mind drift and you bring it back. But where did it drift to? And where did it drift to? And as you start to build build that catalog of where it drifted to, now you can have a, a blueprint to be able to look at, to strategize, to not let your mind drift, right? Because maybe it's your your subconscious is trying to go, go to someplace that's not solved or unresolved or is comfort or whatever, whatever it is. But if you don't know where your mind is drifting to, you can't ever really begin to learn how to control it from drifting there because it's just naturally sure. going to go there. Sure. Um, I don't know if I articulated that quite well, but people can process that. Um, I also know that when my mind is drifting, I have a tendency to let it drift and keep moving. And I'll validate it for whatever reason, right? Like I'm competent enough or the stakes are low or the risk isn't high enough or whatever, whatever. And I can just keep going. I can be mindless about going what I'm doing. And, and um, I said, I, I've started in endeavors now, the simplest of endeavors, not like life or death endeavors, because anybody could be able to do it at the extreme or not, right? They're going to be able to do it at the extreme until they can, and they never have the opportunity to do it again. <laughs> um, but to stop, right? When your mind is drifting and you're losing focus, stop what you're doing. Don't act in automation. Get back, get back intentional, get back deliberate, intentionally deliberate, right? About what you're doing and then move forward. Even with the simplest of mundane tasks, I'm, I'm typing a text message or an email and it's like my mind is drifting and I focus on it. Stop. Whoa, stop. Let's entertain where my drift went, bring it back, and then get focused again instead of letting it drift and typing because you just see where your stakes are low. Maybe it's a misspelled word. But what I'm doing is, is I'm creating either a good habit or a bad habit. Right. And when you find yourself in increasingly extreme or risky or hazardous situations, if you've built bad habits, potential for bad things to happen increase. If you build good habits, you have the ability to stave off that or, or, or you could even, it doesn't even have to be bad um, things happen. It could be accelerated performance, ultimate performance, right? Elite performance. But you got to build good habits during the mundane things. But everybody says, I had, there, was a, there was a guy that I did a race with uh, and we were training and we were riding the bikes up Magnolia Drive. And he told me at the top, it started raining, it got really cold was muddy his new bike was getting dirty fuck this this is stupid i don't need to do this all we're doing is 
being miserable. I don't, I don't need to practice being miserable because when, when the situation comes time to be miserable, I'll be fine. And I'm like, you issuing that statement, I don't, I don't care how accomplished you are, how elite you are, because he was mm-hmm. very accomplished in his field, elite, great dude. When you uttered that statement, it allowed me to understand that you don't have it. Yep. You're not, you're not it. You can pretend to be it, but I know that you're having weird conversations with yourself at night. Um, and I said, if there was ever a reason for you to practice being miserable, like it's right now because you right issued that statement, you know, everybody thinks, oh, when the time comes, I'm going to be able to perform on the, on the, on the, on the combat field, right? Battlefield. I'll tell you what, I'm not going against if If you give me a training opportunity to practice my shooting, right? I'm shooting. Not going to say, ah, oh, I'm tired of shooting today. I've shot too much ammo because, you know, when the enemy's shooting at me, I'll rise to the occasion and I'll be, I'll be fucking good. No, you're not going to say that because you're going to be dead, right? Um, so you got to constantly practice these things and these mindset patterns for the mundane to build repetition, to build habit, rapport with yourself, confidence with yourself, right? Um, as a mountain climber, when your mind drifts, you're an alpinist and your, your mind starts to drift and you're under these little finger holes and this and that, and you start to think about how your legs are sore. Guess what you don't do. You don't keep climbing. You stop and you get back collected because if you keep climbing, that risk curve goes up, 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 up. up. And then eventually you don't, you don't ever have the opportunity to climb again because it's been taken from you. And so, um, I don't know where I'm rambling there, but, uh, everybody's like, Tosh, you do these stupid, you're just a weirdo. You, it doesn't matter. I was like, it matters. It absolutely matters because what I'm choosing to do right now in the everyday benign environment is setting conditions for me to not have to think about doing it because it becomes automatic to work this way. It's a good habit. Right. Um, and you have to, and I fail too, right? Like I don't, I don't succeed all the time and I have my lapses, but the lapses are fewer and farther in between. Um, and, and you give yourself some grace, right? You give yourself some grace when you have a lapse, but you got to be careful how that mind's mind starts to rationalize, making it okay to have a lapse. Right. Right. And that's where, that's, that's the story of great people doing bad things Absolutely. is when they start to rationalize allowing themselves to, to choose the lesser road. Right. It's one of my favorite quotes that it's how you do anything is how you do everything. And I think that kind of parlays into what you're saying right here is that, you know, you create those habits, you create the discipline now. So when you are tested in a bigger, in a bigger way, you're able to overcome. And, and speaking of quotes, I have, you know, I've, I've been researching you for the last couple of weeks here, and I've just written down over the last couple of weeks, some of the quotes and things that have kind of popped up either through your mouth or through uh, just your content on social media. And I just want to talk a little bit about some of them. And the first one's on your, on your website and it's the, the quote is in big letters. It says, excellence is delicious. Talk to me about why that's so important for you. Yeah, that was, um, uh, I always give credit where credit's due where I've heard something or what instigated a thought someplace. And that was my buddy, Chris Smith, man. Um, he had said something to me as he's, he's pep talking me as I was beating up. I was, he's like, yeah, man, that's because you just, because you love excellence because it's delicious. And I was like, wow. And so I, I grabbed it and excellence is delicious. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you go to a, you go to a steakhouse, you're not buying, Hey, what's, what's your, what's your most average tasting piece of steak that you have? I'll, I'll get that. You know what I mean? Going out for an anniversary dinner. I was like, hey, what's your like mediocre dish? <laughs> you know, like what are you serving tonight for left that, that was leftovers from last night? You don't do that. But but we do that all the time, every every walk of our life, you know, and 
The other piece of that excellence is delicious is um, it's, it's silly. Nicole tells me it's silly, but it works for me in my head. It's like, imagine you've never eaten a hamburger before in your life. And, and I got this because when I took my kids to um, Taco Bell, they'd never been to, I'm a, I'm a long distance dad and um, through divorce and man, they like six, seven years ago, I, I got to hang out with the kids a whole lot more. They'd never been to Taco Bell. I'm like, how do you never go to Taco Bell? Mom doesn't let us go to Taco Bell. I was like, we're going to Taco Bell. Oh, you sure? I'm like, it's fine. You can go to Taco Bell. <laughs> and so I think, oh my God, this is so good. It's delicious. And we had Taco they, Every time we, I've been seeing them, they want to go to Taco Bell. Then finally, it just got played, right? But so imagine, imagine you've never had a cheeseburger ever in your life. And then I take you to McDonald's and you get a double cheeseburger and you eat it. And it's like, holy shit, this is delicious. This is delicious. I'm like, yeah, it is. It's pretty delicious. And then that's because you've never had anything else to compare it to. And then, so then we go to Burger King. You're like, holy cow, this is delicious. Like, got it. This is delicious. I'm never going to McDonald's again. I'm going to go to Burger King. Play it out. And then you go to, you know, Five Guys. And then you go to In-N-Out. And you go to Whataburger. Every time you're like, this is delicious. This is delicious. And then, like, Constantly seeking new experiences. Um, and that's my constant pursuit of excellence. Constantly seeking, you know, what's the next step? What's the next question to ask somebody? What's the, what's the next thing I can do to, to add a little bit of polish? Like, that is delicious. And what's delicious to you is only what you know. Unless you're pushing your boundaries and your limitations, you're never going to know what that next delicious is that makes what you're doing right now. Okay. It was good, but man, there's better, you know? So between those two conversations in my head, that's what excellence is delicious to me is and, and kind of where it came from. And if it's worth, I never understood when my mom told me growing up, well, if it's worth doing wrong, it's worth doing twice. Like that doesn't make any sense. You know, if it's worth doing wrong, it's worth doing twice. No, no, it's not. And, and now it does, right? If you're going to do something, do it right the first time. Do it to the best of your abilities with, with a desire to overachieve, to overplease. Um, otherwise, you're going to find yourself having to spend your precious time that you're never going to get back doing it again. Mm-hmm. You know? And um, so that's, that's kind of like the excellence is delicious thing for me is just keep going more. People, we have a tendency. So if, in the Marine Corps, I had a bunch of men and I would say, okay, we're going to go do this, we're going to do this. Okay, sir, well, what do you want? You want us to do this or this or this? I was like, stop asking me for the minimum, right? I gave you a task. I want to do this. Stop asking me for what the minimum standards are. I deliberately asked you and I left these things blank because I want you to tackle it and deliver the maximum. But every time we put, we, we overdo it by putting standards on things. I'm not a... I am a standard-based guy, so I, I got to be careful not to conflate two conversations. But by by putting expectations on certain things, we're actually capping it when we could be given so much more. We do it to ourselves. We do it to others. And so I task people, uh, well, should I get 10? Should I get 15? Should I use blue? I don't, I don't give a shit. I just want you to do the task. And I know because you respect me, you value me, I've built a world of trust and credibility that you're going to over-deliver. If I've done my job right to mentor you, you're going to over-deliver and blow my expectations away anyways. So I'm very careful when, when I give clear, defined you know, standards and, and whatnot, and when I don't, because I know that 
a vested individual is always going to over-deliver. Uh, and, and if, if I surround myself with people that think that way, and what a wonderful life it is to be surrounded by it because they spirit you to better good things and you're spiriting them to better and good things and you're all living better and good things. And that's what delicious is. The next one was, is on your Instagram, it's quote, the mind is to body as 10 is to one. Can you talk about that? Yeah, the mind is the body is tends to one. We still focus on the body, you know, and looks and physical component and this and that. And, oh, that dude shredded and you can bench this or he can run that far. And it's like, okay, cool. Like that's very, very important. But how strong this is, is 10 times more powerful. We, I mean, just back in our examples, maybe 15 minutes ago, 10 minutes ago, it's like crossing the finish line, you know, uh, the mind giving up or pushing the body more, you know, um, the mind has got so much more. The mind will drive the body to do things. The body is screaming at the mind to say, stop, slow down, change, seek comfort, right? And the body is giving, because the mind is resourcing signals, right? That's what the mind is doing. It's collecting data points. And our body is, starts to communicate so loudly to our mind. These data points of fatigue, hurt, discomfort, this or that, this or that, right? That it, now it's driving the mind, but the mind is 10 times more powerful and it's absorbing so many other things. The mind has things that the body doesn't know about goals, ambitions, you know, philosophies, values, um, beyond science, right? The body doesn't know that shit. It's, it's, got, it's 10 times more powerful than the, than the body. So the mind is the body is 10 is to one. Um, I like that. Yeah. yeah. Next one was uh, quote, I'm wired to give. Yeah, that's why I am. I, I give. I give to my own expense so many times. I don't take. I don't accept help. Um, I'm just wired. That's how I'm wired to give. And it's not a, a value proposition or a, a judgment statement to anybody that's not. It's just I, I understand where I'm at. and I get so much pleasure by giving. It's selfish in a way. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, hey, the more I give, the better I feel. So the more I give. So am I giving it because I care about giving or am I giving it because I want to feel good? Ah, I don't know. Just keep giving because it's good. Yeah. It's working. Right. And that's how I am, you know? And um, I, I love the Kiala Foundation. I wear that t shirt every, almost every day, damn near. I got two of them now. Um, but uh, just, it's, it's just so simple four letter word right across the chest in yellow on that black shirt. It says give. My grandmother told me a long time ago, Growing up, I didn't understand is whatever you want most out of life, give it first and you will always receive it tenfold. Wow. And I'm like, wow. So what do you want? What do you want out of life? You know, you know I want respect. Give people respect. You know, I want love. Give people love. You know, I want opportunity. Give people opportunity. I want money. Give money. It might not come back in the same form that you gave it. But the essence is going to come back and it's going to be so much more valuable, pertinent to you at a time when you need it. It might be four years from now. It might be two days from now. It might be from the 15th person down the line, but um, you can't go wrong if you get, don't give it first. And I've taken it to the extreme for sure at my own expense and psychological frustration and whatever, but you know, anything taken to an extreme, good or bad and taken to extreme is, is the reverse, right? Is the antithesis of, of what it is. So um, I try to temper that a little bit more, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wired. It's why I'm wired to give. It's also man, very, super admirable. I like it. Um, the next, the next one is something I really resonate with and it's quote, I'm all about taking responsibility and not in the superficial, ordinary, everyday fashion. That is the simple phrase of the tongue. I love this, man. Can you open up about why this is so important to you about taking responsibility? 
Yeah. Um, take responsibility, take ownership. I look at the people that are most unhappy in their lives and it's always because something else is affecting them. Life's not fair. This ain't this, this ain't that, this isn't that. It's like, okay, cool. Maybe it's not. You got no control over that. Maybe you can influence it, um, but maybe you can't. But, you know, if you start focusing on the things that you're responsible for, your effort, your way of thinking, your expectations, your behaviors, your actions, your thoughts, or whatever it is, like just take responsibility for what you are responsible for, given your situation. Now you have the ability to influence greater and, and potentially even control where you're at and, and get the results that you want, right? Um, and it, it's just a much healthier, healthier way. But there's so many different ways that we deny people opportunity to take responsibility for what they should be taking responsibility for. You know, um, a book I read, you know, a book, I read a book, um, the names, basically about how Americans are weak these days, how we're conditioning Americans to be weak and whatever, whatever generational, it doesn't matter, I'm not pointing any fingers, just like we're so focused on impact versus intent. Now, you know, and, oh, well, you're making me feel this. And, and, and at a time, it was good concentrate more on feelings of how things are making you feel. And it's a counseling technique and it's very, very important to understand how you're feeling or what you're feeling. But, but that's not the end of the questions that a good counselor does. Like, Oh, how are you feeling right now? But they don't, a good counselors don't stop there. They take it to the next, well, what is making you feel that way? Okay. This is making you feel that way. Well, well, why is it making you feel that way? What are you giving responsibility to something else that you should be taking responsibility for? Was it the intent? And it's all about the questions, you know? And um, we do that too much is we allow people to escape personal responsibility because we're afraid of confrontation. We're afraid of hurting people's feelings. We're afraid of, maybe that's why I only have like one and a half friends, you know? Because <laughs> when, you, when you show a man their own bullshit, how they respond, for me, that's, that's where I'm at with people and my, as I'm cutting relationships out and reinforcing different relationships. And it's like one of the, one of the things that I talk to myself about is like, okay, like I'm just being honest because I care and how you respond to me being honest is going to determine whether or not you have this capacity or I have this desire, or I have this ability to give you what you need or you want, you know, and you show a man his own bullshit, how they respond determines how I move forward in that relationship. Um, you continually reinforce it. It's bullshit. You constantly get bullshit. So you're either constantly frustrated or you're living a lie. I don't, neither of those options work for me, you know? So I would rather sever a relationship out of honesty. That's, that's really coming from a place of care than to continue to, to feed you your own shit, you know? Mm -hmm. And I look for relationships with people that do that to me too. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe in, in a moment, I don't have the greatest response to it, right? We're human, and, and it, but over time, ideally a short period of time of reflection and internalizing and understanding what the intent was behind the individual to share that with me. It wasn't coming from a place of hurt, you know, um, or whatever. And then you arrive at a place like, okay, cool. I, I thank you so much for, for sharing that with me because that allows me the opportunity of awareness so that I don't continue to reinforce that, that ugly behavior, you know? Um, so yeah, we, we, we let people off the hook too often because we're afraid of something. 
Agree. The, ne- the next three here, I'm going to combine together. We probably could have done the whole podcast on, but uh, yeah. the, first one, the first one is hard men do hard shit. And then it's followed by without a struggle, there can be no progress. And then the third one is when things start to get really hard is when you start to figure out who you really are. Can we combine those three and, and talk about that? This is, this is um, something I really enjoy talking about. Yeah. I mean, we talk all day on this. Like why <laughs> the people say, why do you do what you do? It's constantly figure out who I am, where I'm at, what I'm worth, what I'm capable of now and not yesterday, you know? Um, but yeah, you don't get hard by seeking comfort. You know, you don't develop by uh, not get, getting challenged. You don't, you know, you, I mean, there's so many different analogies out there when your child falls, when they're first learning to walk, you don't like out of safety stop them from learning to walk because they're going to bump their head, right? They fell down, they smashed their chin. They got to get four stitches in their chin. Like, oh, you don't stop from ever walking again because you want to keep them safe. You know that that's actually good for them. It builds strength. It builds resilience. Um, hard people do hard shit. If you're, if you're constantly, if you're not being challenged, you're stagnant because when you're challenged, you you have to engage in processes to, evolve, learn. Otherwise you become obsolete, right? Like extinction failure to adapt is to become extinct. And, um, and that's what it's all about. Just, you, or, or worse, if you don't, if you don't like change, you can't handle change. You know, you're going to, you're not going to be able to handle being irrelevant, you know, or you're going to like being irrelevant a lot less. So um, I'm always just trying to push myself. Okay, cool. I can accomplish that given these circumstances or these conditions. Can I do it again? Given different circumstances, can I do more, you know, um, because I'm learning. And while I may not ever be in that exact same circumstance, again, there's going to be things from that experience that I can pull from and package along with other experiences and, and use slicing, Malcolm Gladwell's slicing concept to be able to solve a new and unique situation presented to me that I never would have expected to find myself in. Um, and that's how you find people that are um, crisis proof, right? Uh, the German Krizen. Krisenfeist, I think is what it is, the German word for, for being crisis-proof. Yeah, it's a growth mindset. You know, you start talking, you know, studying Carol Dweck and, yep. and understanding what growth mindset is, and it's seeking challenge and seeking struggle and not being so focused on outcomes. Yeah, of course, we all want to be successful. Yeah, of course, we all want to win. Yeah, of course, like, but thinking about it, you're not going to win every single situation, every single time for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? And if that one time when you don't, are you going to capsize? Are you going to, you know, implode? No, man. And so life is all about challenge because we're all competing, right? Um, I mean, life is all competition. It can be healthy competition. A lot of it's unhealthy, whatever, but we're competing for the air we breathe, whatever, you know, and you look at it that way. Well, I need to be able to continue given that I don't get the, the optimum results that I I desire or deserve or think I've earned or whatever. And, you know, and so by tackling hard things and embracing the results that you have and thinking about the results for what they are, that's when you invite opportunity to learn. And then you're that much more resilient the next time you face that opportunity or an opportunity that's similar. Yep. I love this stuff. And, and uh, I remember watching the, the short video that you guys posted on your YouTube page about the hard way. And it was, I watched it three times now because I just freaking love it, man. It's so awesome. And one of the things that, that really stuck out to me was you say, you don't have to be fanatical about it. You don't have to do something super crazy absurd. And then also everybody's like 
measure or ruler is going to look a little bit different. So like your heart is going to be a lot different than the next person. So I'm thinking about somebody, Tosh, who's maybe listening right now in their car and they're thinking, man, I can't go run do the hundred miles that James Hobart did. Um, I can't do that, but I want to start experiencing and start looking into doing hard shit. Where does somebody start if they're maybe a little bit more on the beginner side, if you will? Yeah, you start right there. Start right there at the beginning. Everybody's beginnings is in a different place, you know? Um, and it's, it's not inconsistent with life. I mean, I think that's where, where I draw a lot of my stuff is looking for consistencies with nature and life as it is, instead of looking for exceptions or oddities. And I, I try to pattern that, like everything starts out someplace different and how will they endure and how long they succeed or how long that they thrive or, you know, or, or are themselves it just depends on how much they challenge like that. Right. They got to start someplace. Um, if you've never ran more than five miles, start there and start five miles. When you finish that, go to seven. And then when you finish that, try to ride your bike for 10, whatever, and just play with it. You know, and it doesn't even have to be in the physical sense either. It can, it's, it's, it can be an emotional space, it can be the thought, intellectual space, it can be the social space, spiritual space. Um, and these concepts are all succinct and parallel, right? Like they, they apply. And so, we, that's, you know, as Ralph Waldo Emerson said, right? Like comparison is a thief of joy. And it's like, yeah, I start comparing myself to you. And now I'm not happy with who I am because I, like, I want to be like you because you're doing so much more, mm-hmm. right? Or it could be artificial joy. I'm comparing myself to you and, oh, you're such a scumbag. I'm such a good person. Now I can take joy and pleasure in that. But, but now I'm limiting myself to who I could be because I'm taking pleasure at who I am compared to you. Well, I'm not you. You're not me. Uh, what got you where you're at in your life is different than what got me to where I'm at in life. But understanding and appreciating who you are, given where you've come from, what you're stimulated by, how you think, all of that, and 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 trying to get you to appreciate me, given all of mine. And um, you know, that's 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 a fundamental aspect of tolerance too, right? And some of these these age issues that we're fighting with today of 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 discrimination and intolerance and and whatnot. So. Um, yes, just start there, man. Just pick something that you're excited by and just try it. And then when you're in it and doing it and it starts to get hard, go a little harder, prove to yourself that, wow, I I can, I can go a little harder. Or when you're doing really, really well, like chew off a little bit more and don't feel like you got to get to the end state all one time, you know, like embrace it, celebrate your successes along the way and do it. Um, just enjoy the process. Life, life is a process. It's not a something. Why are we in a rush to get there? Because I'll tell you what, I don't know what's beyond getting there. I know what getting there is. It's being done as we know it, right? You're, you're dead as we know it. Why am I in a rush to get there? Enjoy the process. And through that process, you're probably going to be pushing your culminating point further and further away so that you'll get to enjoy more time which therefore gives you more process to be able to enjoy, which allows you then to get more time. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, man, I joined the Marine Corps and what well, I could do like eight pull-ups, you know, and a three mile run was long and it took like 26 minutes, you know, and now looking back like eight push-ups or eight pull-ups or three mile run, like, come on, but man, that was 30 years ago, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, it took 30 years and I just enjoyed the process. 
Yeah. I love that process over outcome and something else in that video that I thought was really cool is the way whoever was filming asked you kind of what you're doing today. And very nonchalantly, Tosh, you just said, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go find out who I am today. I'm just going to go find out who I am. I think that is um, really important to kind of think back to you weren't ever focused or, or you never really enlightened or talked about the result about what you're trying to go do, chop down these trees and bring them down. You, you weren't really talking about that. It was just like, you know, I'm just here to figure out like what's, what's wrestling in my brain. Uh, what are some ways that, you know, what's getting in the way and, and I'm going to find out more about myself. That to me is more about character development and focusing on the process than it is the outcome at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's cool about that video is it was a totally unscripted. We just came up with an idea. I wanted to do something and it was um, John Mayfield and Preston Smith, Ginger and Puddin, um, phenomenal videographers, photographers, storytellers, um, good friends, good people. And then it came up and just to try to capture this, to be able to share it, you know, how I think, what I think, and it's hundred percent unscripted, you know, and we go back and i look at the video from time to time and I keep catching myself like, oh man, I wish we would have articulated that better. Or, oh, I could have really built that out more. I could have, oh, we could have went this direction. And and then I stopped myself. I'm like, nah, but that's not what it was. It was supposed to be a largely unpolished, raw, honest production. And I had a good buddy of mine watch it for the first time like a year ago. And he said, oh, and he, he started critiquing it. And I was just like, yeah, I appreciate the critique, but you're missing the point, <laughs> you know, but yeah, yeah. you're not going to tell him anything anyways, but uh, he's still a good buddy. Right. Very cool. Uh, Tasha, what, what's an accomplishment or an event that when you look back at, you're the most proud of in your life? Oh, man. I'm careful with that pride thing. Um, so many things that I just, pride, like pride was pride. Um, pride, why? What, what, what's pride could be so huge, but a lot of different things were different pieces of pride that, you know, whether it was making a good decision based off of all the influences to make the wrong decision were there um, overcoming something that was a hurdle to me, you know, that early 135 finishing it when I finally finished it after my third attempt, then the fourth attempt, because you overcome, you overcame something that you've been struggling against for so long. Um, you know, my children, so it's, it's weird, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really weird about that word pride not to say that I'm not proud of things, proud of who I was, proud of how I acted, proud of the challenge that I persevered against, less proud of, oh, I ran 250 miles, right? Like I'm proud of that per se than, than the challenge that was presented and how, you know, I like the, um, oh, the isolation, the container isolation challenge we did in Tahoe for 24 hours. I was really proud that going into that was largely like unknown. I was intimidated by it unexpected, never experienced anything unique to that, um, but was able to come up with a strategy based off of a lot of other experiences and kind of weave them together. Can you walk through that strategy for the listeners that didn't successful. know? Can you talk about that? What was that? Um, yeah, a couple of Canadians came up with an event they wanted to do for mental health, uh, total isolation, sensory deprivation challenge for 24 hours, see how far they could run, a true form runner. And um, I was invited to be a coach, a mindset coach for these guys. By Jeff Vernon and True Form, and they had a stable of other consultants, I suppose, um, nutrition and strength and training and running, whatever, whatever, whatever. And uh, 
And then I just got to thinking about the event. It took me about five minutes after I said, yes, I would do it. That I would, I would be their coach. I was like, I want to do this. This sounds crazy. Yeah, yeah. Nothing like before. I don't even know if I could do it. Um, but basically you were, you were put in a, a container, a shipping container with no light. Um, you weren't allowed to have a watch. There was no music. The monitors from the true form runner were taken off and piped remotely out, outside and total sensory deprivation and artificial motivation deprived chamber, right? Like it was just a little bit of air coming in. Um, and you just ran in total darkness all by yourself in your own shipping container yeah. to see who could go the farthest. And, uh, I was really, you know, I was, I was successful. Um, but I never experienced anything like that one event specific, but I was able to use things that I believe in to validate thought processes, mindsets, the stuff that I'm, uh, I'm sharing with other people that I'm giving other people that I believe in. I was able to oh, well, like, Hey, put it to test and, and like prove that it's not bullshit for yourself, but for others and came up with a really good strategy. And I tried to share it with, uh, with the other two. And I did, uh, they onboarded a little of it, not most of it. And, um, I was really excited by that process. I thought that that was really, really cool. Um, but yeah, that was a fun, that was a fun event a couple of years ago. Yeah, man, that sounds absolutely insane. It, when you look, when you look back on that as a proud moment for you, what was something that you kind of think about and you're like, man, that was really helpful during that time. Or I, re- I really remember, maybe it was a phrase, maybe it was a conversation. Was there something that was like that really, that really stuck out that really helped me? Yeah. I mean, everything that we talked about in this podcast, I used, sure. you know, um, letting your mind drift, checking back in, uh, getting back into the disciplines and controlling the head, head space, just scanning your body, staying in tune with the body. I mean, not coming up with a strategy that was revolving around trying to make sense of your environment, because that's what everybody was like, giving out these ideas, trying to make sense of your environment. Like well, we designed it to <laughs> deny you the ability to make sense right. of your environment. Why would you then try to right. win against that design? So mm-hmm. one or both of those are going to fail. Then either we didn't design it properly or you're going to fail and trying to do it. Like, why would I, why would I bet against myself? It's like, you make no money. You just pay that the house big on that. You end up losing. Right. Like, so, um, yeah, I just, I just like that, you know, uh, just stayed into the body, just pushed and pushed. And when the mind was saying to stop this, no, I didn't come in here to stop. I came in here to keep moving. So. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, so it seems like it's very clear that you're very cognitive. You're in your head. You think a lot, think about thinking a lot. I'm curious now when today, you know, October 19th, 2021, what's something that, that you're wrestling with? What's something you're working on right now? Tell us a little about, you know, what's in Tasha's mind right now? Mm. What, are you, what are you trying to get better at? What are you improving on? Patience, still, still patience and understanding people still working on forgiveness. Um, forgiving myself, forgiving others. Uh, comparing myself to who I was 15 years ago, especially sure. we've got, a, we've got a couple big events coming up and I'm not satisfied with who I am. And that constantly go into this place of comparing who I was and doesn't make any sense um, to do that um, for the sheer sake that I'm 10, 15 years older than I was, right. Things are different, but mm-hmm. um, I'm working on that, getting control of the head uh, discipline, I'm still, you know, because we, we come in straight, like, I'll be disciplined for a while, whether it's diet or whether it's routine or whether it's this or that, and you get good at it. And then, and then it just kind of goes away. I'm trying to bring bring some of the little small disciplines back in and just in, just understanding that it is a 
continuum of back and forth, um, bringing it back in ahead of time. Um, but I'm in a, I'm in a really good place. I'm in a really good place. I haven't done a podcast in like two weeks because there's nothing been really consuming my, when I first started the podcast three years ago, it was about sharing what's going on in my head and struggles and this and that. And I'm in this groove right now where I'm not having any real big internal conflicts. Uh, and so not to create one to create content. Right. But, um, you know, those are things I'm working on. I want to get better at, I keep telling myself, I got books, I got books everywhere stacked up. And I'm just like, Hey, I'm going to lay down in bed and I'm going to read for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or I'm going to stop in the middle of the day. Instead of checking my Instagram, I'm going to read sure. for 15 minutes and I'm not doing it. You know, so maybe now I will, cause I said it out loud to you and your listeners, you know, but, uh, yeah, stuff like that, man. I'm, I'm constantly working on it. Very cool. Last thing I want to touch on here is just, uh, I want to hear more about kind of what you're working on with the rowing crew and you're got a, you're a part of an organization to shut up and row. And as we kind of close down, can you just tell the listeners about what you're pursuing on the physical side of things. Also how we can follow you and also contribute to, um, donate and helping you along the way. Can you talk a little bit about what, what's going on? Oh yeah. That's our next big endeavor. That's the next big push my limits. Um, was asked by a couple of dudes, to do something big and epic. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's do it. I'm, I'm due for something big and epic every year. Um, and then I said, yes. And then they said, well, let's roll across the Atlantic ocean. And I was like, Oh shit. Like that. No. Yeah. Well, the fact that you're saying no, the response like, say yes. And then they said, well, let's go for the world record. And I'm like, okay, I'm out. Like I'm not wired that way. And then I started thinking like, well, why not? Like, what is it that you're afraid of? You know, the dedication to pushing, this or that, the disappointment when you don't achieve it. Like, what is it? And so I had internal dialogue about that. And said, fine, let's go. And so we're going to do the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge in December 2022. And it's a row from um, the Canary Islands, Spanish Canary Islands to Antigua, 3,000 something nautical miles. Uh, we're going to shoot for the world records 29 days, 13 hours. So we're going to, we're shooting for 28 days. Um, we got a really cool stable of, of professionals advising us, consulting us, helping train us. It's new, new for me. Um, never rode a boat on the ocean. I've rode a canoe, rode a kayak, um, rode on a concept too, <laughs> but uh, you know, nothing like that. So I, so we're going after it. Uh, it's uh, three team guys and myself. So three Navy dudes, three Navy SEALs and, and myself. Just got back from Florida last week. Um, we spent a week in Florida doing some training, um, eye-opening for for some people, and it gave a breath of fresh life to what we need to do to train. So I'm really invigorated by that right now. Um, body's training in different ways, you know, giving up what I think I know about training and fitness and endurance and stuff like that, and, and just you know pushing the I believe button to the few professionals that are doing our programming and having us do stuff and. The workouts are exceptionally boring and mundane and there's something cool about me in the conversation. Well, I'm not going to do it or I'm going to do, I'm not going to do this part or I'm not going to do this movement and saying, Hey, no, you made an agreement. You made a contract with these guys that you're going to, so you're doing it. So that's been a good, a good struggle for me. Um, team shut up and row. We're on Instagram team shut up and row. Uh, we got a website, www.teamshutupandrow.com. And uh, we're just getting, we're just building some momentum. You know, Rogue's going to come in on the sponsorship and uh, looks like Black Rifle Coffee Company going to be our two primary sponsors. We're rowing for ocean awareness, um, specifically uh, plastics, single-use plastics 
you know, 96, 97% of all plastics are not recycled, contrary to what you believe. And all those little water bottles you drink of and you think you're sending them off, they're not recycled and they end up mm-hmm. in the ocean um, in some fashion in micro microfibers and particles. And um, it's really devastating. So we're going to, we're going to do that ocean sustainability and, um, you know, veterans. So we're working on a program to um, get some veterans. We're going to relive who they were um, through, you know, recent common era and um, just retell their stories and dedicate every couple hundred miles or so to a different veteran and use that to share their story and who they were so that we can, we can remind people about them. Um, So that's going to be really cool. And just donate right off the website. It's just a little clicker button or uh, just reach out to me and we can, we can work something out so that the payment processor doesn't take 3.5% of the donation. Yeah. Everybody's got their hand in the game. That's right, man. I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm curious. Is is this the hardest event you've ever done? And if so, how do you, you know, what are some things you're anticipating and how do you anticipate overcoming some of those challenges? We kind of close down here. I don't know if it's going to be the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, We won't know until it's over. Uh, Mindset is telling me, my thinking is saying like, yeah, it probably will be the ocean. Why is it going to be the hardest thing? Why? It's the physical thing? Probably not. Um, Do I need to be in physical shape? Yeah. Do I need to be in the best physical shape I've ever been in? No. Do I need to be in the best endurance rowing? Yeah, maybe. Um, But I think this is a, for the goals and the strategies that we're, going for there's less than a hundred square foot of space on the boat Mm. for four dudes to live with each other um it's unique and the ocean can be scary and you're you have control over a lot of things but you have no control over nature and you're absolutely subjecting yourself to that so you know the thought process is control everything that you can control and then accept the things that you can't control and know that you're gonna gotta be okay and i think it's gonna come down to small disciplines you're not going to feel like getting on the oars for a two hour shift after, you know, so long we're going to work two on two off nonstop till we finish. And every stroke has to be with intentionality. Right? It's just being on the ocean and just like going through the motions, right. you know, to achieve a goal. And I've, I've never really worked towards that. Everything I've ever done was to enjoy the experience and to win against myself and win against the course. And, and of course that's going to be part of it. But when you set a lofty goal yeah. like this, um, it brings something else to the table that I'm not necessarily comfort or comfortable or I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm not wired to think that way. I don't chase records or first place. I don't do that. Um, so it's different for me. And instead of saying you don't do it, understand why you don't, but then not being afraid to do it and try it and see what it looks like. So. Yeah. All of my life demands and competing interests right now and competing responsibilities. I'm going to juggle that and still be the best teammate, be the best teammate possible. Um, if you, if you submit to your worst day or your worst moment, you're not doing your team service. And so I have to, I'm, I'm, I'm a team wired individual. I get my strength from being a team and deny myself, you know, but um, I think this is a whole new level of the game for me. Cool, man. Awesome. Well, good luck to you. Um, we'll, be follow- we'll be following along. I think it's cool that, you know, they ask you, you say no. And then they say, well, because you said no, now you have to, <laughs> it's just like, you know, what, why, why, why are you saying no? You got to think about that. You got to kind of unpack that a little bit. Um, I think there's just a lot of, uh, intelligence in, 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 you know, well, why did you actually say no? And what are you afraid of? It's that's super cool stuff, man. I enjoyed this chat. 
enjoy diving deep into the, the mental side of things. Everything between the ears is super fascinating to me. So, uh, Tosh, thanks for taking the time. If I want to point my listeners in other directions, whether it's uh, nonprofit stuff or anything else that you got going on, do you want to have the floor for a little bit and talk about that? Um, yeah, if, if they're interested, they'll find me, right? You can just Google Sean Tosh. Um, I own Crooked Butterfly Ranch. We got a website, crookedbutterfly.com. Um, Instagram, Crooked Butterfly. Uh, you know, Facebook is out there someplace. Um, I've got my personal account, Tosh.CrookedButterfly. Run a nonprofit for veterans, um, Big Fish Foundation. So you can find that at bigfishfoundation.org. Um, and then it is bigfish underscore foundation at Instagram. So um, it's kind of, if you go there and you're really interested, you'll find pretty much anything that I'm doing right now that's open open for the public to understand what I'm doing, I suppose. Um, I'm not a super prolific Instagram or social media guy, but trying to get out there on a, on a fairly regular. I've got my Butterfly podcast. Um, I'm hoping to do a recording this afternoon or tomorrow, though. So uh, we'll see if we'll get a new one up there. But um, yeah. You know, um, I'm just, just thanks for the opportunity, DJ, to, to offer what I think. And hopefully some people are finding some of it valuable, maybe not all of it, um, but take what you want. And hopefully it makes your, your listeners better, better at whatever it is they choose to be better at. I'm cool, man. I value everything you put out. So if they don't right like on. it, I, I'll tell you right now, I love it. I love everything you put out. So guys, if you enjoyed it, make sure to share it on your Instagram. And we'd love to hear what you got out of it. Uh, give us a kind of a comment back. We'd love to kind of have a conversation with you about what you got out of today's episode. And, and we'll see you next week for another edition of the My Fit Podcast. Take care.